Mark chapter 8, picking up where we left off last week, Mark chapter 8, we're going to look at the first 10 verses. And if you wouldn't mind, we could stand, yes, for the reading of the scriptures. It says, in those days, the multitude being very great and having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their own houses, they will faint on the way, for some of them have come from afar. Then his disciples answered him, how? Can one satisfy these people with bread in the wilderness? He answered them, or he asked them, excuse me, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven. And he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves and gave thanks, broke them, and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And they set them before the multitude. They also had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he set them among, also before them. So they ate and were filled, and they took up seven large baskets of leftover fragments. Now those who had eaten were about 4,000, and he sent them away. And then it goes on to say that they immediately got into a boat. Father, we pray that you would bless our time in your word. We pray, Father, that you would give us ears to hear what your word has to say, and that we would be keen as if we're your disciples, if we've placed our faith in you, then these things are applicable for us. And so we pray, give us ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. You know, you read this account, the feeding of the, of the 4,000, and we read this, of course, in uh, Matthew's account and Mark's account. John does not mention the feeding of the 4,000. He does mention the feeding of the 5,000. But we know that it couldn't have been that long. I mean, maybe a matter of days, possibly weeks, since the feeding of the 5,000, and now there's another multitude. And once again, we see Jesus. His heart is moved with compassion for the people, for the multitude, because they have nothing to eat. And he knows if he sends them away, that many of them will faint on the way because they've been with him for three days and they're, they're in need. And once again, we see a hungry multitude, a compassionate Jesus, and we see a bewildered group of disciples. And and rather them 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 I tongue tied rather them rather than them saying excuse me Lord you've done this before you could do it again they ask the question how and so you got to wonder what in the world is going on here feeding of the five thousand feeding of the four thousand they saw him do it before why don't they expect him to do it again but he doesn't do it the way they think. He doesn't do it automatically. And guys, I'm convinced 
as a disciple of Jesus Christ, when I read through the scriptures, it's apparent that Jesus is constantly, was constantly trying to teach them things. And if he was constantly trying to teach them things, he's constantly trying to teach us things as his disciples. And, and we don't look at a portion of scripture as if that's all we had, but we look at the scripture in its context. And so you think, well, how could they have forgotten did they forget the feeding of the 5,000 so quickly? Well, I think that would be impossible for them to forget. So there has to be something else going on here. And I think that in the context, we see the something else. We know two weeks ago, we saw the Gentile mother, the Syrophoenician woman. Her daughter is severely demon-possessed. She comes to Jesus, and she begins to plead with him that he might deliver her child. And remember the, the back and forth that took place. Jesus said, let the little children be filled first, for it is not good to take the children, i.e. Israel's bread, and to throw it to the little dogs, i.e. you, <laughs> a Gentile. And remember how she responded. She wasn't put off by it. She wasn't offended. She just said, Lord, even the crumbs that fall from the children's table, you know, that's all I want. I just want the crumbs. And that was great faith because it doesn't take much, you know, for Jesus to do what he does if you have great faith in him. And she had great faith. So we had the Syrophoenician woman two weeks ago. Last week, we saw this account that's unique to Mark's gospel. None of the other gospel writers mention it. But the healing of a man who was deaf and mute. And so Jesus, as we saw last week, remember, he, he, uh, he said, be open. And he touched his ears. He put his fingers in his ears. And then he touched his tongue, he spit in the, in the process, and the man's ears were, were opened, and his tongue was loosed, and he began to speak freely. This was the region of Decapolis. This was Gentile territory. I mentioned two weeks ago that when Jesus went up to Tyre and Sidon, and that's where he had the encounter with the Syrophoenician woman, that this is... Biblically speaking, this is the furthest that Jesus went to, to preach and to do, you know, the things that he did. And so he's in Gentile territory, and maybe that's why I suggest that's why his disciples were bewildered. They did not expect Jesus to do this among the Gentiles. We could understand you doing this among the Jews, but, but not among the Gentiles. And of course, Jesus, seeking to teach them a lesson, I believe that the lesson that he was teaching them, not only in the feeding of the 4,000, but in the healing of the mute man, in the deliverance of the Syrophoenician woman, that Jesus was declaring, that Jesus was showing them that his ministry and his mission would go beyond the borders of Israel. He's not just the Messiah of Israel. He's the Messiah to all whoever calls upon his name, whoever puts their faith in him. And, and so I believe that's what, what was being taught here. But I want you to, to notice something, and I think it's really important. We saw this with the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus determines to do something, and he does it through his disciples. Now, Jesus could have taken the bread, and he could have walked around the multitude, and, and he could have handed the bread out and handed the fish out. He could have done it by himself, but he didn't do that. 
the feeding of the 5,000, we saw that they were, were to be seated in groups of 50 and 100. And then he gave what he had broken, what he had blessed, what he had multiplied. He gave it to his disciples. His disciples then went out and distributed the bread. So they were, they were playing a part in this miracle of Jesus. By the way, if there's ever a miracle of Jesus... And a man or woman seems to be used in the process. You need to understand, it's not the man or the woman. It's Jesus who's doing it. He's just using the individual as the tool, as a means of bringing this about. I want to point this out. I point it out fairly sternly because we have so many people who claim to be something in the world today and in the church today. And naive Christians, professing Christians, believe everything they say. But I think it's worth noting in our text today, it says that, verse 2, that Jesus called his disciples to him. He sees the multitude. He calls his disciples to him. And look what he says. He says, I have compassion on the multitude. And he tells him why he has compassion. But he says, I have compassion. I have compassion. I want you to do something. I have compassion for the multitude, so what are you guys going to do? Remember the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus said, you give them something to eat. Remember that? You do it. Where are we going to find bread, enough to feed these? We don't have the money to buy bread. Even if we could buy bread, you know, where are we going to get it, and how are we going to feed so many people? And he wasn't doing this to taunt them. He was doing this to teach them. Jesus, he says, I have compassion for the people. And then he does what he did, using, through the means of the disciples. The disciples became the instruments, if you will, the hands, handing out the bread, handing out the fish, you know, and they were playing a part in it. And I believe that this is the life application that we should draw from this. Now, I want to remind you of something I'll come back to this. You might think, boy, you're all over the map today. But, but I want to remind you of something that Jesus said, because we're talking about bread, right? I want to remind you of something that Jesus said to Satan when Satan was tempting him. Remember the 40 days in the wilderness? We read that Jesus said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He was hungry. He had been fasting for 40 days. He's hungry, you know, and Satan says, oh, I'll feed you. You know, what do you want? <laughs> and Jesus comes back with the man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. People need bread. You say, yeah. I remember back in, when I was young, bread was money, you know. Do you have any bread? <laughs> you know. You say, yeah, bread, people need bread. Listen, what people need more than bread, than, than something to put into the mouth and into the belly, they need the bread of life, the bread of life. Jesus, he calls his disciples to him, and he says, I have compassion, and I want to do something, and I want to use you. And I'll tell you guys, if you're his disciple, you should see yourself as a servant. I was thinking about that this morning as we were worshiping the Lord, that um, if, we, 
if we're all into, you know, if we're so self-focused and what can I get out of this and I want people to serve me and, and that type of attitude, you're missing the heart of the Lord. Because the Lord himself, when he came in his incarnation, he didn't come to be served. He came to serve. He came to give his life as a ransom. And, and he sets this example for his disciples. And we know that the disciples didn't understand this. They were wrestling with this all along. And we're going to see it in the weeks to come as we make our way through Mark's gospel. That they were, they were so concerned about who among them... So that group of 12, who among them was the greatest? And there was jealousy among these men. And, and, and so often, you know, we want to look at scriptures and we want to kind of hold it at an arm's distance. And some people, when they read the scriptures, they want to take any humanity out of the scriptures and look at people as almost as if they were different than us. You know, we can't really relate to the disciples because they were different than us. No, they weren't different than us. They were men, flesh and blood. They struggled with things. We see them struggling with who will be greatest. We see at one point James and John, they have their mother come to Jesus and to ask Jesus, you know, can, can my sons, you know, one sit at your right, one sit at the left. Lord, we'll leave the decision up to you. Whoever will sit in that seat of honor on your right hand, you know. Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking. Of course, Jesus is fixated on the cross where there would be one on his right and one on his left. You don't know what you're asking. You're asking for the wrong thing. I've come to fulfill my mission. We know that when you read John's gospel account, we know that there was this rivalry between Peter and John. I mean, we see it even on the day that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. John's given his account, and you know, and yes, and, and, and both of us ran, you know, the two ran, he's speaking in the third person, you know, we ran to the tomb, and the other outran Peter, you know, so it's John's way of saying, I was faster than Peter, you know, the old lug, you know, or fat lug, or whatever it was, you know, and, 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 and then, but, but Peter was the one who went in, and he looked around, and we see this rivalry, even at the end uh, you know, before Jesus ascended into heaven, when Jesus was there on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and the Lord is talking to Peter, and we'll get to that. We're going to look at that in just a moment. Or I'm going to, I'm going to remind you of that in just a moment. But the Lord tells Peter how he will die. Think of that. This is how you're going to die, Peter. And remember what Peter's response was? It wasn't, oh, Lord, no, can, can I die in my sleep? You know, can there be an easier way to die? He didn't say, he says, what about him? What about John? How's he going to die, you know? And the Lord rebuked Peter once again and says, it doesn't, well, you know, if I want him to stay alive until, you know, I return, that's my prerogative, you know. But this rivalry, rivalry between them. And I think it's so beautiful that Jesus uses these men. I was thinking of what, what Paul wrote to the believers in Ephesus. And, and he, he reminded them, or told them, maybe, maybe they never even considered it before they received the letter. He said, for 
We, the church, for we are his workmanship. The word there is ponima, or poema, not poema, that's for the Holy Spirit. It's for poem, we get our English word poem from it. It's a work of art type of thing. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, for what? For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in. The good works, well, Why? So that people might glorify us? No, Jesus made that clear on the Sermon on the Mount. <laughs> let, your, <laughs> let your light shine before men so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So the Christian life is really a life of reflection. What are you giving? What are you offering? Only what I've received. I'm not giving you any more than I've received. I'm, I'm going to share with you that which I've received. I was the first partaker partaker and now I'm I'm offering that to you I don't think that the disciples forgot about the feeding of the 5,000 that would be impossible but I do believe as Christians many times we seem to suffer amnesia when it comes to the faithfulness of God you say what do you mean well you know we experience the power we we experience the provision of God and, you know, we're, we're glorifying him and we're praising him. And the praises, oh, they just kind of bubble out, you know. And, oh, thank you, Lord, thank you. I'll never doubt you, never, ever doubt you. And then the next trial we find ourselves in, we have amnesia. Where are you, Lord? Why have you abandoned me? Why am I going through this? We forget. But I don't think the disciples forgot at all. I think it was because they were in Gentile territory. And from the mindset of these Jewish disciples, they did not understand that Jesus' mission and ministry would go beyond Israel. Guys, how do we know this? You could say, well, because we have the epistles. And we know that the apostles went out and they preached the gospel in Gentile cities. And many Gentiles were saved. That's right. So we know it from that perspective, but we know it from the Old Testament perspective. I think of Isaiah the prophet. Isaiah prophesied when he was speaking of, you know, I like to remind people that many times we see the book of Isaiah as a, as a Bible in miniature. Now we know that when Isaiah wrote his book, his scroll, that there were no chapters or verses, but our modern Bibles have chapters and verses and and Isaiah happens to be broken up into 66 books. And the Bible is 66 books, canon scripture. And in the book of Isaiah, uh, you, you see, you know, uh, you see really this miniature picture of the Bible, creation and what God had done in the beginning. And, and you get to Jesus and the Messiah and, and, and what would happen and his suffering and, and then his resurrection and the byproduct, the fruit of his resurrection. And it mentions that Gentiles will be saved, that Gentiles would be coming to faith in him. So it was prophesied long before it happened. But they needed to learn these things. These things were hard for them. Remember when Peter himself was called to go to a Gentile's house? Remember the mission that he would tell the Gentile about Jesus? The man had been praying. And uh, an angel said, you know, to the man, Cornelius, send, send to Joppa. There's a man there, Simon, and uh, send for him and, and he'll tell you what you need to know. 
what was happening at the time. Well, Simon was hungry, and I guess food was being prepared down in the house or in the courtyard. He's up on the roof. Not like our homes today. The roof would be like a patio type of area. He's resting up there. He falls into a trance, and he sees this sheet coming down from heaven. And he sees all these unclean, unkosher animals before him on the sheet. And he hears the voice of the Lord, take, kill, eat. No, Lord. Peter, he loved to protest. He always loved to tell the Lord that, you know, the Lord was wrong about something. But, of course, Peter had no idea that the Lord was preparing him for this visit with Cornelius. Guys, that whole account with Cornelius... I don't know if you see it this way, but I see it as almost a Gentile Pentecost. You have the the Pentecost, you have the Jewish Pentecost, you know, Acts chapter 2, the promise of the Father will come upon you, the Holy Spirit shall come upon you, and we see that taking place. And of course, the church, we see that as the birth of the church at that particular time. They're now filled with, empowered with, the Holy Spirit has come upon them with that dunamis, dynamite power, so that they could go out and be missionaries, evangelists, sharing the gospel. But the Cornelius thing, similar thing happened in Cornelius' house. Cornelius, apparently he tells his friends, and family, we can just open those, but it's pretty stuffy in here. Thank you. And, um, and, you know, he gathers his friends, his family together, and as, as uh, Paul is, or excuse me, as Peter is, is preaching, same thing happens. Holy Spirit falls upon them. Same type of thing happens. So they needed to learn these things. So you say, okay, Dad, I get it. I understand. Do we understand? You know, guys, the disciples were learning that his mercy and his grace was going out, beyond the Jews, available to all people. All people? Yes, all people. We see it in John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. All people? Yeah, a Syrophoenician woman who has a demon-possessed daughter. All people? Yeah, a a man who's deaf and, and mute and most likely a Gentile. All people? Yeah, all people. And we need to remind ourselves of that because I think sometimes as Christians, we can kind of draw a line in the sand and we determine who is worthy of the grace of God, who is worthy of salvation, and who is not. And we're in error. Because when we do that, we, we, we're not rightly representing the Lord. You know, I've told the story many times, but when I first came to faith in Christ, we started to attend a little church. We were living in Northern California, and, and uh, we were going to a little Bible church and a great group of people, and very conservative, and um, everyone, you know, kind of, you know, uh, very conservative. And so Tracy, my wife, and I, we started to attend this church, and, and we did not look conservative at all. I mean, we, we looked kind of like hippie kids, you know, because we were that. And so we show up, and, 
and I have long hair, and, um, you know, the people are really excited, you know, there's a new couple coming to the church and everything, and, and I had a, a number of men that kind of came around me, and, and they welcomed me and everything, but I'll tell you, it wasn't long before the agenda was known. The agenda, the thing on the calendar, the main thing, the most important thing, number one thing that we need to do is we need to get this man's haircut. I mean, that was, that was it, you know. His hair is too long. And so, uh, you know, that was the thing. I remember one guy pulled out of his wallet a picture. It was a drawing of Jesus with a crew cut. I don't know where he got it. I don't think it was an original. But anyway, <laughs> they had this agenda, you know. And so, and I just kind of wanted to, you know, kind of conform because I thought, boy, I love Jesus. And, and Jesus, if this is what you want me to do, I'll do whatever, you know, I, I, I'll, I'll com- compromise and, and everything. And so I did. And, and, uh, and then the next thing on the agenda was they felt that my wife was, uh, she needed to come under submission. <laughs> I remember coming home and telling Trace. Babe, you need to come under submission. I didn't even know what submission meant. You know, she looked at me and said, what? And then she hit me with this frying pan. No. <laughs> but it was like these agendas because it was like, you know, we want you to look a certain way and this and that and everything else. And the more I was with that, that little group of believers, it was apparent that they kind of, they, they had scorn, they showed disregard or, or really distasteful for some people. And I was probably one of those guys that they would have said, man, don't help that guy out until I started looking like them. And I've told this story many times, you know. I remember we were in the church, and again, very conservative. I had, I had bought some slacks and a dress coat and a tie. And, you know, I was a carpenter, so, you know, my dress attire was a flannel shirt that didn't have holes in it, you know, and a good pair of boots. And, but anyway, I, I was there, and I'm, I'm singing out of the hymnal, you know, and we're singing. And um, this, uh, this couple came in. And they, they looked like we did, like a few months earlier. Bruce came in, he had long blonde hair down to here and a big old bushy beard. And his wife had, you know, kind of the peasant dress on. And, and uh, you know, they came in and, and they stood right in front of us. And I'm, I'm looking at them and I'm thinking, who am I? <laughs> where, where, where? Where did I go? Because, see, I, I was wrapping everything else up onto, you know, you, you need to conform, you need to look this way, you need to talk this way, you need to have this and that type of thing. And I remember as we were worshiping in that church with our hymnals, they raised their hands and some ushers immediately went over and said, we don't do that here. And I thought, oh, well. Sometimes we could do that. We can, we can kind of forget where we came from. And we begin to minor on, or to major on minor things, you know. Your hair is too long, there's this, there's that, you need to do this, you need to do that. Rather, and, and people, and some Christians, they want to make disciples of themselves rather than disciples of Christ. And see, if we're truly a disciple of Christ, then our goal should be, listen, I don't want you to become like me. Oh, no. I want you to become more like Jesus. 
So we point to Jesus. We're on this journey together. We're, 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 we're being conformed into the likeness of Christ, not, you know, our fellow churchgoers. And I'll tell you, if we're not careful, we begin to forget where we came from, and then we begin to judge people worthy or unworthy of the gospel. And we're in danger. Yesterday, we participated in a funeral for someone that we have known, though we have not seen her for over probably 20 years. But someone who came to this church as a little girl um, with her great-grandmother. Her great-grandmother brought her here. And, and, um, and so anyway, we're, we're there. There were very few people at the gravesite there. And I'm looking around at these faces, and it's like I'm recognizing some of them. You know what I mean? Time goes by, but there's some features that you could say, oh, that's so-and-so, and that's so-and-so. Oh, that's her little brother, and that's, you know. We're just kind of looking at these people. A lot of hair, a lot of dreadlocks, a lot of beard hair. And these guys, and they're just there gathered. And I'll tell you, I wasn't quite sure what I was going to share because I hadn't seen her for a long time and really concerned, didn't know what her walk was with the Lord or if there was any walk with the Lord. And, and now, what do I say, Lord? Because I would never lie to somebody. Some people are so concerned about their own reputation and they want people to like them that they kind of paint a picture like, you know, she's in a better place. Everyone says that at funerals. No one ever says, oh, gosh, you know, I want to be where they're at right now. No one says that. It doesn't matter how bad, uh, you, know, uh, you know, a friend of mine was in Germany, and uh, he was a, a missionary there for a while, and he ended up meeting kind of the head of the Hells Angels in Germany. And his inn was because his grandfather was like this well-known Hell's Angel from L.A. And so all he had to do is kind of walk in and say the name. And the guy said, come in. (laughs) Sit down. But anyway, this friend of mine, he said he was doing funerals for these Hell's Angels. And he just went in. He says, I want to make myself available to you guys if you guys need anything, you know. And and they called him on it. And he would... And I said, was that hard? Because, you know, the life they were living and you know that they weren't like believers and everything. And he goes, yeah, but it was an opportunity to share the gospel. And that's how we should view all of life. It's an opportunity to share the gospel. Because the Lord doesn't want any to perish, but all to come to repentance. So if that's true, and it is true, then we should be sharing the gospel with anybody and everybody We can. You guys know it to be true. When people are going through difficulties, when there's a death, oh, people, they're they're raw. But they're they're also open. They want hope. You know, they were so thankful to Tracy and I, and Mario did some music, And they were so thankful. Thank you for coming. Thank you, thank you, thank you. 
And, and I just responded, thank you for letting us be a part of this. And to be able to talk with people and kind of connect with people, a lot of these people were my son's kind of crowd. So they're in their 40s now, oldest son. And as I was looking at these folks and, and just, you know, the sadness and the concern and all of this and I just kept thinking of God's grace. God loves people. God doesn't want any to perish, but all to come to repentance. And, and we just need to, we need to, well, turn with me to John's gospel, John chapter 6. And I'll come back to that. We need to. John's gospel, John doesn't deal with the feeding of the 4,000. But, but after the feeding of the 5,000, we read that there were those who came to Jesus and they, they wanted to see <laughs> you know, something greater. If the multiplication of the fish and the, and the loaves weren't enough, now they want to see something greater. And of course, Jesus knew exactly what they wanted because they told him. Look at verse 31. Our fathers ate manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Do you see what they're doing? Can you give us manna? I mean, that would be, that would really top the multiplication of the fish. We want manna. I mean, if you're really who you claim to be, we want manna. Then Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, which is a true statement. And I want you to think about it. Moses didn't do anything. Moses was the medium. Moses, Moses was the one that the Lord was working through. Moses didn't have these powers in and of himself. The Lord was working through Moses. But Jesus had a greater point. Look what he says. But my father gives, not gave, past tense, but gives, present tense, you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. I am the bread of life. So, Jesus said, Most assuredly I say to you, or most assuredly, let's say, I'm sorry, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. People need bread, but not the kind of bread we think. People need the bread of life. Do you know, guys, we have been duped into thinking, and I hope that you are biblically minded rather than just socially conscious, but we have been duped to believe that the church, that their job here on earth, not according to God's word, not according to God, not according to the apostles or the prophets, but according to the world, they want us to... Stand in the quarter, keep your mouth shut. We don't want to hear anything about sin or or repentance or anything like that. Your job is to open up hospitals and help those who are in need and to feed the poor. You do your job. You give the bread to the people who need the bread. And if you're biblically minded, you say, Amen. We're going to give the bread. The bread of life. 
to those who need the bread of life. Well, who needs the bread of life? Listen, not everyone needs bread, but everyone needs the bread of life. And I love the fact that Jesus, he calls his disciples onto himself after taking and blessing and breaking and giving the bread. And he says, you guys distribute it. And so they go out and they hand out the bread. And after everyone has has eaten and they are filled to the full, then they gather up all of the, you know, the leftovers and they gather up baskets or or um, what is the uh, word? It's like a, I think of like a laundry basket, not a little basket, but a hamper. They gather up hamperfuls of leftovers. You say, how do you know it's that? Because it's the exact same Greek word used for when they lowered Paul down from the city when he was escaping and he was in the hamper. Remember that? Same word. So he says, you distribute, distribute, you give. And they didn't know it at the time, but Jesus was showing them, this is your, this is your mission. This is your purpose in life now. We know that for at least four of the disciples, when they met Jesus, Jesus says, come, follow me. I will make you fishers of men. You go, well, what does that mean? Well, I'll show you. I'll teach you. Through the feeding of the 5,000, feeding of the 4,000, Jesus is illustrating, was illustrating to them, listen, you can do nothing of yourself, but I'm going to work through you. It's my spirit in you. And I want you to participate in this because I'm going to the Father to prepare a place for you. And when I'm done preparing that place for you, I'm going to come and receive you to myself. But while I'm gone... The work continues. How does it continue, Lord, when you're gone? It continues through you. The Apostle Paul, you know, when he speaks of the church, the body of Christ, he likens it to a body. Christ is the head. I'm glad he's the head. Because everything needs to flow from the head, from the mind of Christ. And then he likens every other part of a human body to us. We're not all the same. You know, we're not all the, the hand or the toe or the mouth or the ear or, or whatever, or the heart. You know, we all have different roles. But we are the body of Christ here on earth to do what the Lord has called us to do, to share the gospel to present the bread of life to people, we can't force them to partake, can we? But as we present the, the, the bread of life to people, we say there's hope beyond this life. They have an opportunity. Again, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I love that. It's... The whosoever's. If you haven't received the Lord as your Lord and Savior, you need to do so. You need to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. You need to believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You need to receive him as your Lord. And as you receive him as your Lord, the Bible says that he gives us as like a down payment or a guarantee he gives us his spirit. So that is 
the Spirit of God dwelling within us. To empower us, just as the Spirit of God empowered the early believers in the book of Acts on the day of Pentecost or in Cornelius' home. The work is not done. Jesus says that we're to work while it's still daylight, while we still have the light. The light is going away. The, The time of work is going to cease, but it hasn't ended yet. And so we need to be people who take seriously our calling. Don't wait around for people to serve you. Look for opportunities to serve others. Be ready in season and out of season to give a reason for the hope that lies within you. How do you do that? Feed upon the word of God. Take in the word of God. Abide in the word of God. Let the word of God become a part of who you are so that then when you're given opportunity to share, it just begins to float. And you'll be surprised. You'll say, Lord, I didn't know that I had that in me. But I think too many, you know, we kind of assume that there's going to be just kind of this miraculous thing and we're going to start speaking biblical things, you know, even though we've never put it in. I mean, God could do whatever he wants with us. He made a donkey talk, so he could do whatever he wants, you know. But but I think that more likely is we're feeding upon the word of God as we're taking the word of God in, then we're going to be ready for the opportunities he's given us. Nehemiah, come on up and lead us in the last song. Would you stand with me? And, you know, maybe you're thinking of someone, or maybe, let's just pray, Lord, that you would bring to remembrance someone, maybe just one person. We all know so many different people, just one person that we know needs you. And maybe we shared the gospel with them and it didn't go well. But Lord, we pray that we would renew that fervor, that sense of urgency for that person. We pray that our prayers would become fervent once again for that person. We pray that we would seek opportunities to speak to that person and to share the gospel with them. We pray, Father, that we would not get caught up in debating issues that don't matter, but that we would simply present the bread of life, the bread that came down from heaven. The bread that offers life and that more abundantly. The bread that satisfies any spiritual longing, hunger, thirst. Help us, Lord, to be faithful to the task you set before us. In Jesus' name, amen.